Today on CityCast Salt Lake, local news enthusiast and disability advocate Shelby Hinsey is here, and we're discussing this week's news by taking your calls. It's Friday, April 29th, 2022. I'm Allie Vallarta, and this is CityCast Salt Lake. Shelby, welcome to CityCast Salt Lake. Hi. You and I are here to round out the week's news. We're going to catch everyone up on some of the stories they might have missed this week. And we're going to use listener calls as a bit of a guide. So I want to say first, if you are listening to the show and you want to share a news story you can't let go of, whether it's this week, next week or anytime, you can call us at 801-203-0137. You can also text us there as well. We love texts. 801-203-0137. Gotta say it twice. All right, let's get our first call. Hey, my name is Madeline. I live in Liberty Wells, and I'm calling in to talk about the news around the Wasatch Front receiving an F in the American Lung Association's most recent report for air quality. And I know that air pollution is something that we all deal with on the Wasatch Front every single day, but I'm curious what it's going to take for us to finally take action on it. I've lived here for over three years now and was just diagnosed with asthma in the last two months, and it's really making me question if this place is for me forever. So, yeah, curious on your thoughts. Thanks for reporting. Um, Madeline is referring to the American Lung Association's State of the Air report card, which we did get this week. And basically, every county from Weber down to Utah County got an F. Um, The report is not neighborhood specific. It's county specific. But of course, we know from previous reporting that in Salt Lake, it is a lot worse on the West Bench of the city, the air quality situation. Um, So if Madeline's getting asthma in Liberty Wells, then we know what that means for Glendale, Rose Park and neighborhoods near the airport in the lake. I don't know how much more reporting and how much more research and how much more data we can have before you know we do something about it we get these kind of like national rankings constantly like i re- i just last night said to a friend like oh do you hear salt lake got an f from the american lung association and their response was yeah but we've had an f right right and it's like yeah no this has been the situation has been bad for a very long time like how many more times do they need to pull the fire alarm before we do something about it I will say another thing that happened this week is that the EPA basically decided to involve themselves in air quality issues in the West. So the EPA has a what they call a good neighbor rule, which basically means like, hey, you all can live in this toxic dust bowl if you'd like. But as soon as that blows into a neighboring state, well, now we're going right. to get involved because that's not right and that's not fair. And this is a rule that's been in place, like for anyone who's lived on the East Coast, you've probably heard about it because it's been in place there for a while. But they have now proposed, the EPA has proposed adding 26 new states to the good neighbor rule. And that would extend as far west as Utah, Wyoming, California and Nevada. Um, And, you know, they are accepting public comment. So I will say (laughs) if you live in Utah and you'd like to see you know, the EPA sort of coming in and kicking down the door like the Kool-Aid man and setting some regulations for us, uh, you know, whether we'd like it or not, 
then you can reach out. There's um, just on the EPA website, there's a place where you can give public comment about this. Um, yeah. Personally, I'm I'm pro. <laughs> yeah. Good neighbor in all respects of the, the term. Right. Yeah. I, I think, you know, when we look at COVID and, and, you know, we had this like catastrophic event and we still did a pretty terrible job federally in the state, locally, like mm-hmm. responding to this like very tangible and immediate need. Right. And, and that just makes me more nervous yeah. for these like climate needs that, you know, are tangible, but, you know, are a little bit slower moving and a little bit mm-hmm. more, um, something that just is like seeping into our daily lives and going to require more day-to-day effort and you're not going to immediately see results. Mm-hmm. We just refuse to do it. And I just don't know right. what it's going to take. Yeah. It is hard to be optimistic. I actually read about this, this EPA announcement in the Denver Post and I We'll read a quote here directly from the post because I think it is it speaks directly to Madeline and her call, which is, quote, the federal agency estimates that forcing those states to reduce nitrogen oxide emissions at power plants. Hello, us and industrial sites would by 2026 improve the health of more than a million Americans who suffer from asthma. So, Madeline, bring in the EPA, bring in the EPA. (laughs) All right. Next call. Hi, CityCast. This is Chris Jones, the education reporter for KUTV2 News. This week, I'm interested in a report from U.S. News and World Report that ranks high schools. Six of the top ten high schools in Utah are actually charter schools. Beehive Science and Technology Academy, Northern Utah Academy for Math, Engineering, and Science, just to name a few. The rankings uh, are based on six factors, including uh, college readiness, performance on state tests, and graduation rates, which those schools all did really well at. Thanks, CityCast. Okay, first of all, I love getting a call from friend of the show, Chris Jones. Yeah, I love when reporters call in. <laughs> I will say, Shelby, I don't fully understand how a charter school works. I feel like I've read so many articles over the years about charter schools and about right. how they plug into our public education system, but it it's not something that I think I have a firm grasp on, and I'm not afraid to admit it. Do you? Um, I would say I have a like loose grasp on charter <laughs> schools. Um, so basically, they are a private institution. They're privately like overseen, but they are federally fu- or publicly funded. Um, okay. And and it kind of depends on. It depends state to state how exactly that works. Um, in some places, the state has some oversight of charter schools. In some places, it's the school district. Hmm. Um, they do have to meet certain standards that are set out by the state and federal government. Okay. Um, when it comes to achievement, safety, things like that. But they have mm-hmm. a lot more flexibility on how they achieve those things and the curriculum that they use, kind of the tactics that they use to meet those goals. Whereas like a regular public school, 
for the most part, the state sets the rules and teachers kind of just have to follow a set curriculum. You know, these are the books you're going to read, you know, those kinds of things. Okay. (laughs) Right. It's, It's a very loaded issue because, you know, we see a lot of anecdotes of people that have had really great experiences. And we see a lot of anecdotes of people that had terrible experiences. For me, my biggest concern is always, you know, what are the rights of students with disabilities at um, charter schools? Hmm. I was actually under the impression that they don't have to follow as many of the rules as public schools do when it comes to providing special education. Um, I did a little research and I did learn that I was wrong. Okay. They are, they do have to follow the same rules. However, they have a lot more flexibility. Oh, we don't have the funding to do that. You need to go to your public school. Mm, um, interesting. Or, or you, if your child needs a paraprofessional with them or something like that, mm-hmm. they'll say, you know, U.S. parents can hire that person to come in with them, but we don't have the funding to provide that. But I do, I do get concerned about just the general tone that we have right now of, of undermining public education. Right, right, completely, yeah. And because we know that, like, that's one of our greatest institutions. And, um, and yeah, there's lots of problems with it and we can do a lot of things to fix it. But I don't know that privatizing it is the answer. Yeah, I mean, I think like seeing that in the, you know, U.S. News and World Reports rankings of the top 10 schools in Utah, that the first six are charter schools, like, and looking back on this year so far and the legislative session, Mm -hmm. I'm just like, have we fully given up on public education? Is that where we're at? Because I will say like, for teachers' part, for public school teachers' part, they have not. Like, I think in some ways yeah. they both have and have not. Like, I remember the the data point that came out from Heidi Matthews, the head of the Utah Education Association, which is basically the largest teacher union in the state. Um, I remember when she said in end of February that 93% of UEA members were saying they were likely to leave this profession after the school right. year, that they were completely burned out. And at the same time, you know, there were multiple protests up at the Capitol when the legislature was reviewing certain bills that would, you know, in essence, restrict how teachers teach and what they can teach. And like teachers showed up for those. Like the right. turnout was remarkable. Like there was we heard from so many teachers that were saying, I'm in this fight. This is this is my life's work. I care about this. And and frankly, like I don't think anyone should have to defend their job as their life's work. I think you should be able to go to work and do a good job and go home and not have to spend your weekend at the Capitol protesting for the right to do your job. I think that is like an absurdly American sort of ideal. But like, I, I think that is really where we're at. Yeah. And I, another thing I think about too, is just like, the idea that you can accept and reject students from this public school as mm-hmm. well. I did some research and like students with disabilities have lower representation 
in charter schools than in public schools. Mm -hmm. I don't buy that that's a coincidence. Either you're not offering the services that people need Mm -hmm. or you're explicitly not accepting them into your school. You know, it's a lottery system, but who knows? And and there's no, there's a a huge lack of transparency with charter schools too. They don't have to share. They're not subject to the Freedom of Information Act. They don't have to share you know, where their money is going, how much teachers are being paid, those kinds of things. So that's another thing that I'm like, at the time you don't have to do that. Mm-hmm. And other people and other institutions do that are similar. I'm a little suspicious. Yeah. As well. Right. Because to your point, it is our greatest national institution. And I would argue it's basically all we've got at this point. Yeah. And it's and it's slipping through our fingers. Yeah. One last one last thought on this education conversation. I would if you'll have me, I would like to share with you, Shelby. Yes. So there was another report that we got this week from the National Education Association, and they did a report about educator pay and also school funding and how much uh-huh. schools are spending states are spending per pupil. Right. And here are a couple of the things they found just for Utah, which I think are are kind of remarkable. So they assess our minimum living wage across the state on average to be just under $50,000. Um, mm-hmm. And the average teacher starting salary in Utah is $44,000, a little over $44,000. Mm-hmm. So we're starting our teachers out below right. the minimum living wage. And for doing that, we are ranked 15th in the nation. Like th- we're not even 50. We're 15. So that is like good compared to what's happening nationally. Wow. They also did something that I thought was interesting and I personally had never seen before, which is they assessed a teacher pay gap, which is basically the sort of pay gap between what teachers are making on average in Utah compared to other college educated professionals with similar mm-hmm. experience. And our teacher pay gap is 77 cents on the dollar. So our teachers are making, on average, 77 cents on the dollar of other college-educated professionals. And let's just say, you know, who are teachers? Right. They are generally women. Women. It's a lot of women. Mm-hmm. 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 And that 77 cents is looking really similar to the national statistic of 70 cents on the dollar for white women compared to white men in terms of salary. So yeah, good, good uh, assessment there. I mean, again, it takes a community, it takes a village, right? And so when we look Mm -hmm. at our public education system, it's like, this is our village. Like this is our community that is raising our kids, the not to be cheesy, but like the future. And I think, you know, you can't put a price on it, but if you were to, this is where we're at. And it's pretty bogus. Yeah, 100%. I have nothing to add. It's terrible. All right. Next call. Hi, I'm Leo. I am 13. I live in Sugar House, and I am going to see the Jazz game on Thursday. It's game six of the playoffs. I am currently calling this on Wednesday, the day before the game. I'm really excited. You know, they need to win this to... Um, get to the second round and such. I've never been to a jazz game. Um, I'm really excited to go. And yeah. Yeah. All right. I mean, go jazz. Go jazz. Um, Shelby, do you have thoughts on the jazz? Um, I'm 
I will say I'm excited for Leo to get to go to its first jazz game. Yeah. Because they are more fun in person. I think all sporting totally. events are way more fun in person. Yeah. It's um the communal event, the food, just the like feeling of, oh, we're all supporting the same thing and we're all excited. And yeah. that's that's very fun. Yes. Um Shelby, if you were to have called in this week, what would your call have been about? Um, I'm going to jump back to education. Oh, good. Um, because, you know, I love to talk about things that I'm mad about. So I am frustrated right now with, well, I, I should say, I'm very interested in student loan debt repayment. Likewise. Um, if you were on Twitter, you saw earlier this week that basically like the bat signal went out and every single Republican senator had some sort of hot take about how awful student loan debt repayment is. Mm -hmm. I will just say, just from a purely rhetorical standpoint, Mitt Romney's tweet, I'm like, Mitt Romney did not write this. Yeah. And I recognize that like staff writes things a lot, but it was just kind of like, I don't know, it was a little disappointing because I'm like, this isn't generally his tone. No, it was really snarky. Yeah. And I was just like, this is, I don't like this. And there's been a few of those recently that I'm like, just as like a, like a former journalist and a PR professional and like, mm-hmm. and, and I generally like Mitt Romney a lot. Right. Um, you know, yeah, I, I have the, like the highs and lows of the Romney roller coaster. Completely. Um, I think we should read the tweet. I'm going to read the tweet because please, for please. anyone who hasn't seen it, this is a tweet from our Senator Mitt Romney, 11.10 a.m. on April 27th. Desperate polls call for desperate measures. Dems consider forgiving trillions in student loans. Other bribe suggestions? Forgive auto loans? Forgive credit card debt? Forgive mortgages? And put a wealth tax on the super rich to pay for it all? What could possibly go wrong? I don't know. Let's find out. Let's find out, <laughs> first of all. And let's add forgive healthcare-related expenses healthcare to debt, this. yeah. I have to say, I've never met a Democrat or a Republican that wants to forgive auto loans. But if I did, I might be like, I'm listening. Sure. Well, and but um, but I so I am in favor of canceling some student debt. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think one of the things that is getting lost in this conversation around student debt is, you know, we can forgive these loans and and we should. Mm -hmm. But we also have to look at our higher education system, or we're going to end up right back in the same position mm-hmm. in another 10 years. Um, we need to look at, you know, why, first of all, just why do you need a master's degree for so many of these jobs? Um, and, and it's because so many, this idea that, you know, college is going to get you ahead and now you have to, we're just moving the goalpost yep. basically of what we consider um, you know, somebody who's exceptional. Um, and then we also need to look at, you know, why does college education cost so much money? It should not cost. I, so I went to BYU. Um, and I'll admit, I don't have any student debt. I Mm -hmm. applied for a ton of scholarships. Yep. And I had a lot of success with that. And I chose to go to a really cheap school. But I also recognize that that was a subsidized education. All right. you know, the, the reason that tuition is cheap is because my parents have been paying tithing for, you know, 50 years. 
I don't know what the answer is exactly, but I do know that, you know, let's cancel student debt. We've seen over the last two years that, you know, it's not going to fall apart. Mm-hmm. It's going to be okay. Mm-hmm. And this is just federal loans too. Yeah. I went to a, I will say I went to a private school, pretty elite and pretty expensive. And I remember listening to a talk from the dean saying, you know, well, it, it costs us about $20,000 more per student every year than what we currently charge in tuition. And I think a lot of people's reaction and sort of the crowd to that was, oh, then let's talk about how that's not sustainable. Uh, Right. Let's not talk about how then in turn every alum should be making a donation or that like in turn we should raise tuition. Let's talk about how that is simply unsustainable. And so what goes like how do we like time for budget cuts in in the right places and not the wrong places right i think colleges are a really important part of a community like i think the u is a really important part of our community but you're right i mean like i'm not the consultant that should be coming in and making those decisions but it is clearly unsustainable right. and to your point like specifically low income black students students of color This is who, in particular, I believe, was sold this promise that an expensive Mm -hmm. college education would ultimately help them build wealth. And so we've seen, I mean, like the data says, 86% of Black students are taking out federal loans to attend four-year colleges. Like there is a direct response to this this vision that's been put on the vision board here. And if you look around this country, we see that those are not the people that are building wealth, right? Right. Like, hello. College educated here, Allie. Um, I've been working since I was 14. I have $45,000 in student loan debt. And I technically had a full ride. Like, right. in that, like, you know, a combination of federal loans and grants from the school covered my tuition. But that full ride, even that language of a full ride, that's not a full ride, my friend. Like, those mm-hmm. federal loans, a couple years after I graduated, came knocking at my door. Right. And so student loan debt cancellation for me, like there was a um, the Roosevelt Institute did a study that showed that if we canceled fifty thousand dollars of student loan debt per borrower, they would immediately increase the wealth of black Americans by 40 percent. And I'm just like for a president who was elected, let's be clear, by black people, specifically Mm -hmm. black women. I think that is probably a good idea. And if I was one of his advisors, I would be like this seems like a good enough reason to do this. So yeah. I'm I'm on board with it. I also will just say, dearest Senator Romney, um, I would be really curious how many of your students took out student loans in order to go to college. And if, you know, 801-203-0137, if, you, if you're <laughs> listening and you'd like to let us know, then uh, we're all ears here. But uh, I I will say like, I will not be talked down to by a millionaire. And um, mm. Utahns have on average $17,000, about $17,000 in student debt. Yeah. Um, we're the lowest in the country, partially because of subsidized education from institutions like BYU and BYU-Idaho. Mm-hmm. Um, we also have fewer people that have college degrees. Yeah. Um, but if you're looking at it just in Utah, $17,000 is a lot of money still. And and then there's a lot of interest on that money. Mm-hmm. So it's not $17,000 in loans. It's 
you know, significantly more by the time you put in interest. Yeah. Um, Capitalized then, interest, which was something right. I didn't like when I learned about that. I was like, oh, this is I'm, I fold. <laughs> right. And then I do think examine some other ideas as opposed to just, you know, you have to go to college and you have to get a bachelor's degree and you have to get a master's degree. Mm-hmm. And that's the only way you will achieve in this world. And yep. that's not true, but we've sold that out of desperation. Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah. What, what would you call in about something happier, I hope? Well, it's not necessarily happier, but I, yeah, okay. I think it's, <laughs> I think it's, it's, it's something that is uh, interesting to me. And it's one of those stories that I think just like was kind of sent out into the ether and didn't get a ton of attention. But there was a piece on KSL this week by Carter Williams about how Utah's drought conditions will influence fish stocking at all of our state Ooh. reservoirs. Basically, the the Department of Wildlife Resources is trying to figure out how many fish they should put in our reservoirs because it's a little bit of like they don't want to put too many fish because then if the reservoirs get any lower than they are, which they're already quite low, they're they're averaging about 60 percent, then these fish will just die like the water gets shallow, the water gets hot. Mm -hmm. They get overfished like we're just sending these trout out to their death um, for the sake of the sport of fishing, which I think we can all agree is a shitty thing to do. But at the same time, they want to they want to stock these reservoirs because fishing licenses are Mm -hmm. and permits are how we fund a lot of our wildlife research and the you know, the work that the DWR does. Um, It's it's a cultural norm. And so there are a variety of reasons to stock fish in the first place. And it's just, I think for me, it just feels like this sort of like apocalyptic little game that we're playing with the reservoirs. And again, like to your point way early on in our conversation about how these climate catastrophes are seeping into our lives is like, here we are just just riding the wave, just like on the roller coaster of how do we respond? And Mm -hmm. I would like to see us get to a place where it feels like we're not grabbing onto the tail of a dinosaur and like being whipped around by this crisis. But um, yeah, when I read that, I was like, what a job to have to be like the the person deciding how many fish we put in and and weighing that against how low the reservoir might get. Mm hmm kind of wild yeah it's one of those just again like wow this sucks if only there was something we could have done to prevent this (laughs) and nobody could have seen this coming i can't believe it right and i also like your reference of the being swung around by a dinosaur because i guess technically we are being swung around by fossil fuels so (laughs) it is a dinosaur at one point yeah yeah thank you thank you i'll be here all week Shelby, it was so fun ending the week with you. Thanks for being here. Have a great weekend. Thank you. You too. That's all for us today here on CityCast Salt Lake. We'll be back Monday morning with more news from around the city. Bye. I know what you look like. Also, I'm not looking at you. I'm looking at my notes, so... You're liberated from my gaze.